Hello, everyone. Welcome to Navigating Business, a business podcast hosted by the U.S. Pan-Asian American Chamber of Commerce, also known as USPAC, brought to you through the Community Navigator Pilot Program, or CNPP, by the U.S. Small Business Administration, or the SBA. For those of you that are not familiar, my name is St. Hung, the founder CEO of Universal Processing, one of the national spokes under the USPAC for CNPP. Join me today as your host in this podcast where we hear from Asian American and minority business owners who share their experiences, their backgrounds, their struggles, and ultimately their trials and tribulations, as well as their stories of success. Today, we will be joined by a very special guest, the Western Chapter board member and CNPP consultant of the US PAC Western Chapter. And I have the absolute pleasure and joy of being joined by Mr. Porter Wong himself. Welcome, Porter. Hi, hi, Sane. Hi, everyone. Thank you for the kind introduction. I'm always got overrated. And I, it's my pleasure to have a chance to talk to you today. Yes, yes. Might as well to have this discussion. And you are not at all overrated. We've spoken face-to-face. I've had the pleasure to have some in-depth discussions with you about business. And you truly are a visionary in the, in the space of capital, as well as venture capital specifically. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, why don't we hear about the man behind the man with all this sagacious wisdom? Can you share with everybody a little bit of your background? Because everyone has an immigration story. What, what's yours? Oh, my is. My immigration story is is that I remember. Okay, my situation is a little bit diff- a little bit different. It could be just quite typical, just like all the other Asian immigrants. So when I was attending attending college, I constantly fear where my mixed meal coming from. Seriously, so I, I I work on a lot of odd jobs, and of course, like during the summer at the New York City Chinatown like as a dishwashers and waiters and things like that. And then, so I'm just lucky that I can finish my engineering degree in New York, in the state of New York, uh, actually with a, I was like one year into my PhD program in computer engineering and then California is calling. So then I, I actually, before I finish, I actually moved out to California and start working in Silicon Valley. But then I, I still remember the struggle I have. Luckily, I, I like during my graduate graduate school time, I got like scholarship and things like that. So things are kind of okay. But before that, when I was in undergrad, so my family helped me. But then at the same time, I, I need to worry about where where my next semester tuition come from, and and it's like very very stressful. I, I hear you. I hear you completely. That fear of not knowing when your next meal is coming from, that fear of how do I pay my tuition or how much in student loan debt am I going to get into? It's a very popular topic these days, but people of our age, we, we experienced it as well and we, we figured out a way to overcome. I, for one, can sympathize with that whole idea of having to bust tables and wash dishes in Chinatown. I went door to door in Chinatown, I was responsible for the territory of Chinatown when working for the banks. And uh, where, where, how am I going to pay for Columbia University was a huge concern. So I totally get it, Porter. 
what what else what else prior to college because you mentioned some of your struggles what's the family situation were you born here or where were you from originally did you travel with the family to come to the states okay my situation a little bit different like actually our family trees that like my great great grandpa that generation actually they moved to the u.s way back so some of my like great great uncle whatever they actually were like U.S. Marine and things like that. Cool. And they actually is quite typical. Like they operate a actually laundry shop in Mass Street in New York City. Okay. But then, so then my mom got married and then actually she moved to Hong Kong. So then, so of course then I, I kind of like grew up in Hong Kong and then, and then moved back to U.S. before high school graduation like a couple of years before that so i have a little like high school experience in here in new york city and then after that i went on to college okay so if your great grandparents came here that means i'm guessing you were born here and you were born an american so no i, I wasn't no i wasn't i, I yeah it's just because of my mom and so right yeah okay yeah yeah right sure sure yeah. sure so so your mother came here as an immigrant and you, you grew up in the United yeah, States yeah, 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 all the way up to yeah. high school. I mean, you mentioned Mott Street. Were you authentic Mott Street? Did you have many <laughs> meals at Big Wong and then the local ice cream store? And did you play hooky at Chinatown Fair around the corner? Because I'm very familiar with that, that little beat. Absolutely. Actually, at one time I was living, uh, there's a Hop, Hop Lee, the restaurant course, that's yes. on Mott Street towards the almost the end of the street near the square. Yeah, it's like just one of the uh, small apartment in one of those little building building behind the the restaurant actually. Yep. Oh really? You live yeah. that close? You were yeah, in for... Chinatown literally. So you just lived oh, above yeah, Chinatown yeah. Fair, the arcade, yeah. the local Chinatown arcade. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, such a small world, Porter. And now you're you're out west. Was it graduate school or during your PhD program that you moved to California again? No, no, I actually, I had like one year of PhD program with SUNY, State University of New York. And then, mm -hmm. and then, then I have a friend that he moved out to California and then he started working, you know, for some very interesting project. So then he actually introduced me to his department head and then I got recruited to California. So that is before I finished my I just one year into my PhD program, and then okay. and then I, I left for California, and never okay. looked back. Yeah. You never looked back. And when you say California <laughs> and Silicon Valley, were you there for like the venture capital gold rush or the software gold rush? Like, what time period was this? Oh, that actually it is a it is in a it is in a well. Let me put it. Let me put it this way: Silicon Valley is always in venture capital gold rush, if not mm -hmm. one thing that the other. So my time is when I was there is that lots of companies, they are very heavily into graphics, like you know, NVIDIAs and all those companies. Mm -hmm. And then it, it was a very, it was a very exciting time. But then, but then in Silicon Valley, they, they never bore. I mean, now it's like the epic center of generative AI. Right? Yep. Uh, so yeah, so it's like every few years, there's something, something comes up and then yeah, it's will, the internet, will, yeah. then it's graphic cards, then now it's, crypto. it's AI. Before there's crypto, there's crypto. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Yep. Uh -huh. So were yeah. you there since the, the beginning, the first wave of like web 1.0 now that we're in web three? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, 
And then I, and then at that time, I think in the Valley, I mean, they are a little bit similar to me, but then we start having Asian entrepreneur. They are basically, I think a lot of them are on H1 visa. Okay. And then later on, got a green card. I mean, they start out work for some company and then later on, they, they founded their own company. So I, I actually had a pressure, had the pressure to met quite a few of them. And then they absolutely great, great mentor for me. Great, great, great. I totally know the struggle and I completely hear you on that whole visa status. Now versus any other time, it is hard for a new immigrant to get a piece of the American dream. And that really correlates to, to my fundamentals about what I'm trying to do at my main organization, UP. So I completely hear you. These days, it's something like one year to even apply for the H-1B visa. And then if you're lucky, maybe you get three years of time to prove yourself and have a working visa. That's just for the ability to work in this country. And then especially, I'm of a Taiwanese or call it Chinese background. Now, Chinese nationals, it takes something like five to seven years to even get the green card approval. So it's it's rough. Now, yeah. enough about that. Yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Just another story. So, so it's just like because of the recent downturn mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like country. I mean, actually, I would say like globally economy. So a lot of big tech that actually having had also could continue have to have a layoff. And then there, there are a lot of like very talented Asian that with H one H one B visa. Yep. And then they got laid off, and then they only have six months to stay to find a new job. And then it's becoming very, very challenging. And then I have, I have, I have, sorry that they, they are, I mean, first of all, even to, to, I think that's barely enough time for them to plan how to move everything out of the U.S. But then a lot of them actually would like to stay and then, con and these people are highly creative mm -hmm. and then they can really contribute to the, to the U.S. economies and society. And then. Sometimes and then they will they love the country, they love the US, they love to stay. But unfortunately we train them because they these are all like US, you know, college graduate, smart people, and then we have to let them go. It's kind of sad. Developed with US resources and unfortunately departing. That's oh. that I totally get. So all these above experiences, including your childhood and your days of study, how has that contributed to your investment focus or your investment philosophy? Yeah, so so my investment, okay, so of course it, it has like a profound effect and impact on me to look at the world, for me to look at the life. So one thing that I, I share the same, I think share the same passion with you is like, I'm looking at like, I, I put a lot of emphasis in the social impact and then size. So social impact could be just socially, socially related, but at the same time, nowadays is the clean tech and climate tech. Clean uh, tech? Okay. Clean tech, yeah, clean tech and climate tech, because yeah. there's no one corner in the world is not affected by that, right? With I think it contributes to a lot of world unrest mm -hmm. far, and also inflation and food shortage and, shortage and things like that, because all of a sudden you have acres and acres of productive farmland is not able to produce what they used to produce anymore. Right? They mm -hmm. might need maybe completely gone or maybe they need to 
like because of the water shortage, whatever, maybe the temperature got much higher, whatever. Mm-hmm. So then they, they have to pivot and do something else. So therefore, so, so for me, it's like how, how, I mean, even today, so for investment, it's always like two sides. One is what I call the mainstream business. So somebody, let's say they, they start a restaurant and then they, they, they run a very successful restaurant business and then they, they look into the franchise. They run a, a profitable, profitable business. That's one piece of it. The other piece is, is related technology. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so, so I think that in both cases, the one thing I look at is how, how can we help the, 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 the next generation of entrepreneurs to be successful, but all, like create, like you're creating well-paying job. And then at the same time, have some social impact to the society. Uh, yep. So therefore, for myself, I've been mentoring quite a few actually black founder business in the tech area, mm-hmm. uh, and then also of course like minority-owned uh, mm-hmm. small business. So, so basic, yeah. So basically, this is I mean, these are my focus room at the same journey. But it doesn't mean that I don't I don't work with anyone. So I basically work with everyone. But then for myself, I kind of like like would willing to work to like try to take care of all those companies that they are underserved or the founders that are underserved or this. I hear you. I hear you. That's great. Just curious for those that are either thinking of starting a business or already operating a business. Is there a special point within the, the business life cycle that you think the owners of the business, the founders should look for investment or investors? I, okay, so I spend a lot of time to work with early stage companies. So even early stage, there's like different kind of definition. But then for me, it's like from the more or less, sometimes they already have some products okay. right, and ready to commercialize, especially because like for those, especially at the deep tech company, because if you're deep tech, you really need to do a lot of research and development. So even before, so it's no way that they can carry on without any outside help to be able to come up with a prototype. Right? Okay. And then also a lot of time for deep tech, it's actually involved with hardware. And then for me, it's just my personal feeling and personal philosophy is that like, if a lot of the investor, if they looking at just the, the, the best payout, mm-hmm. so the, the tendency is actually to leave all those out, leave anything related to the hardware out because the risk is lower, the payback yield period is sooner. But then if I look at a, a grand scale as in for any country, if you don't own the hardware, mm-hmm. you don't own the software. Because it's the hardware people that they pay how you write the software. The software is just on top of the hardware. So hardware people give you all the spec, right? Uh, for example, so today, if NVIDIA, if not, it's a U.S. company, it's a foreign country, it's a foreign company, then all the chat, you know, GPT people, Microsoft or Google, whatever, actually, it's at their mercy. Because they are, they are the AI, they running the AI engine, they running all the hardware to process 
all the software and all those like generated AI algorithm or whatever, but even crypto mining. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you basically, you, you, I mean, if you keep losing ground in the hardware side, so eventually, eventually you, you lost the stat, you, you could lose the status as a, as a advanced technology country. Right? Okay. Yes. So that's why I, I actually tend to, yes, just spend some time. And then most investors, I would say like, I mean, you're getting more and more investors start doing that, but then relatively speaking in comparison is still only a, a small fraction of the overall investment community. Okay. So just, just to summarize or rephrase, it sounds like you're saying that a lot of early stage companies, they can get investors just by having software alone, but it is your investment philosophy that if you have software, you might as well also have the hardware because that de-risks the investment itself. Because you could write the best lines of code, but if the hardware manufacturer or the incumbent hardware on the market now doesn't accept your code, then it doesn't even matter. Is is that basically what you're saying? So take no, longer to the, the software. The other way around. The other way around. The 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 reason the reason why a lot of investor, mm -hmm. venture capital investor, they like software is just because that they 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 are less risky and then okay. the payback time is sooner. The reason why is this so I'm just think about it. So if I if I invest in a software company and I only have one piece of problem. Okay. Right, but if I also have hardware, then all of a sudden I have the software and also the hardware. I got so it. then I have two pieces of problem. So okay. right? So then the trouble is actually it's not double. It's always exponential. Another, it's exponential, exponential right? because the connectivity yeah, so and the, the exactly. bridge between the hardware and software. Okay. Exactly. So that's why people, if chasing for return, they uh -huh. they they normally will shy away from from hardware. Mm -hmm. But then, for me, as a as a, a technology product, technological advanced country, and and also for national security purposes, we have to own the hardware too. Okay. So that's why. So so I'm coming in in a, a little bit different perspective, not just a hundred percent like money center. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of looking at things that are longer term, and then I would say even have a far more reaching impact. Okay, I, I, Porter, I'm not trying to disagree with you at all, but in my mm -hmm. summary, I think we're saying similar things. The investors okay. that are looking for a quick return do software mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. When I say mm -hmm. de-risk, if you have the whole ecosystem of software mm -hmm. and hardware mm -hmm. and the development team and the connectivity between software and mm -hmm. hardware, Overall, long-term wise, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. lower risk if you have the whole infrastructure, not just about oh, your return. The reason yeah, yeah, I want course, to bring sure. this up is because I experienced something similar about a decade mm -hmm. ago when mm -hmm. uh, point, point of sale hardware and software were just coming out. Universal mm -hmm. Processing, we use mm -hmm. a lot of payment software and we mm -hmm. partnered with mm -hmm. a hardware provider. I'm not going to mention mm -hmm. the name because mm -hmm. I don't have very much good things to say about them. The money was really quick. The client's mm -hmm. acquisition was really quick. And then the hardware manufacturer was like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. all they're mm -hmm. doing is doing this payment software. What, let me, let me sign up. Let me create my own software code to capture these clients for payments. And within three years, all of the clients that we referred to this hardware manufacturer 
became their clients and they left us because they have the infrastructure, they have the hardware underneath. That's actually what forced us to buy our own software company and create our own developers, which lowered the amount of risk for us. So absolutely, totally agree. Thinking you, you, I learned that yeah. painful lesson firsthand. So totally that's why I say yeah. hardware. Having the hardware also lowers the overall risk if you're in it for the long game. In it for the yeah, long. Yeah, absolutely. So in a way, if you look at all these like big tech, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, they all have a pretty significant significant piece of hardware mm -hmm. in in the company or product mix. Yep. You look at Apple; it's a hardware software company. Of course. It, I mean, you can they cannot live one without the other. You you look at like Facebook; they actually mm -hmm. is a uh, innovator in terms of data center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you look at like Amazon; they you look at all these like how they auto manufacture. Yeah. And even though they actually they offer the warehouse to to offer the warehouse to to help company to manage the backend operational logistic. Of course. Right? So they have all these robots. They have all these like even delivery truck. The it's whole hard, team. Right? At AWS, yeah, so you, Amazon Web right. Services. That is a huge business. So if you want like total domination, that's the way to go. I mean, even look at the look at like Nvidia today is a, one of the hottest company on the planet. Even though they start out with a, as a hardware company, mm -hmm. now it's it's like they do tons of tons of tons of software. Okay. You, you just can't have one without the other if you want to have a total domination. This concludes the first part of navigating business, finding the investors. A business podcast hosted by the U.S. Pan-Asian American Chamber of Commerce through the Community Navigator pilot program of the U.S. Small Business Administration. Tune in later this week as we continue our conversation with Porter Wong, board member and CNPP consultant at the Western Chapter of USPAC. To learn more, please visit our website, cnpp.uspac.com. Again, cnpp.uspac.com.